Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Sports Science at Football Federation Australia, Craig Duncan. Tune in to episode 131 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So again, another guest who I'm delighted to get on after months of stalking. Uh, and massive thanks to Darren Burgess and Ronell and Kip Hobson for making an intro. Both making an intro to Craig to um, to get him to come on. And, and massive thanks to Craig for giving up a, a, an early morning, get, giving up a line in bed and, and jumping online and uh, having a chat with me. So massive thanks to all them guys. So, in this chat with Craig, um, we're going to a lot of different topics that we've maybe not covered before on the podcast, and that's mainly due to Craig's background and the, the kind of vast experience that he's got in various different industries. So, one thing that I was keen to explore was productivity in both business and in sport, and what sport can learn from business and, and vice versa. So, that was really interesting and definitely something we've not touched on before. We discussed the future of wearable technology. So from Craig's experience, obviously working at the Socceroos and various different other places, it was great to get his view on where that's going and how we actually, as practitioners, sports scientists in, in, in sport, actually continue to make sense of this. So that was really interesting too. So last but not least, we touched on um, fulfilling the aims of the camp which obviously Craig works um, with the with the Socceroos, so it was it was getting to the to the root of how Craig actually fulfills his aims as a as a sports scientist in a in such a small time frame when he actually has access to the players and that they obviously have games in them times too. So that was really interesting to see how he actually balances his roles and responsibilities uh, with with the coaching staff. Uh, in, a, in such a limited time and, and, a, and a country that's obviously so far away from the majority of its players. So that was really interesting um, and hopefully you get a lot from the episode. First and foremost, I'm quite passionate or very passionate just about people and people performing to their maximum potential. And it just happens that that's players that I, I work with. I, I believe 100% we're in the service industry and I'm there to, to serve players and I'm there to serve coaches and so just before we get into the episode with Craig, I just want to say a massive thanks to Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard and Groin Bar, for sponsoring the episode today, as ever, and their massive support of the podcast. Also, massive thanks to Coach Me Plus, who have also been fantastic uh, to keep the, um, keep the podcast running in its current form, and their massive support regarding the podcast and everything else that's uh, that's going on in it. So massive thanks to Kevin and his team for their continued support. So over to episode 131 of the podcast with Craig Duncan. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today, after much stalking, I have Dr. Craig Duncan on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thanks, Rob. It's very nice to finally be here. Thank you. No, it's good. Thank you for putting up all my stalking 
Which is a <laughs> normal way I go about things to get people on. Um, so it's really great to have you. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, uh, do you just want to give us a little bit of background on you and, and what you're currently doing? Yeah, I primarily um, work, in, work in football. And, um, well, I suppose it you know it goes back to, I mean, my, my education is obviously in sports science and my doctorate is, is in sports science from the University of Sydney. And I'm based in uh, Sydney, Australia. Um, so I've worked at a, a number of clubs, but my major major work at the moment is is head of sports science for Football Federation Australia, and then primarily focusing on the men's national team, but overseeing all the all the teams we have uh, at the federation. So that's a, that's a full time role. Yeah, well, I, I I actually have a. Uh, it's quite an interesting situation. I have a company, Performance Intelligence Agency, and with that, we consult to a number of organisations. And it's, uh, I suppose, a number of years ago, I started thinking about the the concept of outsourcing sports science and making it simpler for for organisations. So we have a number of clubs where we place our people in them there, and uh, we oversee it. And our systems are used and. Uh, and it's been working quite well, so it's quite unique in the sports science field, but very, very often used in in uh, information technology and and other areas in, in business. Mm-hmm. So, can you say what um, what clients you currently work with? Yeah, well, the, I mean, obviously, the main one is uh, Football Federation Australia. We also have yeah. um, a couple of rugby league clubs in in um, Australia as well: Bulldogs Rugby League, uh, New South Wales. Uh, rugby league, which is the overarching area of, of that, um, uh, of the rugby league organization here. And, uh, we've also done a lot of work with the Western Sydney Wanderers, which is a, a team, uh, here as well. And then there's a, a few other teams around, around the world that we have some consultancy with, but, um, yeah, we try and stay in the background a little bit, Rob. So, uh, and yeah, not, no, <laughs> not publicize things, things as much as I once used to. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's cool. So why why do you think that hasn't been done before? Or has it done, been done before with the outsourcing of, of the sports science provision? Well, I think Exos in the, in the States have, have done something very similar, um, even even though they're probably more along the lines of the, the strength and conditioning model. And, and they're an exceptional organization and have done it, done it really well. It just sort of came to me when I was working full-time in a club and then I thought – Oh, I, that sort of lifestyle wasn't, wasn't fantastic for the family. So I, and then I realized I couldn't be in 10 places at a a different time, but our systems could work quite, quite productively. So it was just a matter of, of trialing it and then seeing that it was successful and then getting people to buy into it. That was the, that was the biggest thing because it is quite unique. Uh, but you know, I, I will oversee something and we will have other staff there. And it's a yeah, it's it's different for sport, but I think there's a lot of advantages with it because you get a more you get multiple people involved from our organisation and then can liaise with the client. And I think in respect to that, the client service uh, definitely improves. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Mm. So from from a from a kind of high performance strategy point of view. How how have you kind of built built that to be able to be replicated in a number of different places by a number of different people? Because obviously the norm is 
you have something in your head because you're one guy on yeah. your overseeing department and then you do it. But obviously it's slightly different because you've, you can't do it because you're not there and there and there. So yeah. how have you set up the systems and the strategy to be able to have that that is repeatable? Well, it's quite fluid, Rob, because it's a, a work in progress, may I say. And, okay, yeah. uh, and, and even though I do a lot of reading and strategy and systems and framework, I, I absolutely am no expert. So I have some really uh, good advice in that area, and it's very much something that is, is in the development process. So probably in the near future, I'll more join up with uh, – people that are, are much more well-versed in that strategy and systems just to really formulate our framework. So so we have it, but it's a matter of really putting that in place and, and then it just becomes that sort of – it has to – even though I never want it to get to a one-size-fits-all model, it, it needs to be, you know, what does the client need and and go from there and make it a, a real agile sort of process and, and, and adjustable. There, look, there might be some clients that just – just want consultant, you know, the traditional type consultancy where they've got their high performance team, they're doing very, very well and just need a little bit of, uh, you know, basic consultancy in there. But then there will be some clubs that have had large turnover or, or, or just want to try something else where we can put the whole system in place and, and that can go from, you know, the sports science, the strength and conditioning, the, the sports med, the physiotherapy, even to the performance analysis area. So I've got some really good people involved that can manage those and, and mentor the people on the ground. And yeah, I, th- I think it's not right for everyone, but I, I think there's some real advantages for it. Excellent. So another thing that I, I, I kind of little, had a little chat with you about before, and that was productivity. Yes. And anyone that's kind of gets influence from – I suppose kind of business leaders and I don't know, a Harvard business review and all them kind of things that productivity is always the number one topic that seems to be getting discussed. And I'd just love to, it's obviously something that you're, um, you've been reading, reading up on and, and having interest in because uh, obviously the, the, the blog that you put out, I'd just love to see and hear about your, kind of your influences on that side of things and how you've um, seen that, area within sport and within the practitioners that you that work under you and and you work with you yeah look i'm first and foremost i'm quite passionate or very passionate just about people and people performing to their maximum potential and it just happens that that's players that i i work with i i believe 100 percent we're in the service industry and i'm there to, to serve players and i'm there to serve coaches and 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 that um and in that, I don't think too often we look after people that that well. And it, I suppose if I traipse it back to around 2013, I got quite sick myself, and I was I spent some significant time in hospital. And whilst I was in hospital, I was monitored very very closely, as as you are. And then it really struck me that after three weeks in hospital, I walked out and there was no monitoring. And so that sort of worked in my mind to think, well, hang on, I'm monitoring all these players 24-7 and I've just been in this this situation of being really not that well and then three weeks off I go and, and on I go and let's see how it goes. And <laughs> And then I thought, 
how how is this sort of situation then transpire into the corporate sector, and how does that look? And yes, we uh, everything I read and that is about productivity, but very much it's it's focused on the systems to be more productive rather than the people that are involved in that system. And there's very very little done in in most industries about actually looking after the people that are there. And there's like it, it's quite astounding to me and. We, we have big organizations with big, you know, departments of human resources, people and culture and et cetera. But I'm not sure, in my view, do they really look after the, the people? And we've actually done a corporate trial and, and looked at monitoring people just as we monitor them, monitor athletes. And it is quite incredible when you start looking at the data and seeing just how I suppose unhappy people are at work and and I really believe just by taking an interest in people you can really enhance that situation uh, often just with players with anyone if you if you're there to listen let there to, to actually get the information and it becomes a talking point then I think a lot of problems can be rectified so it is is something that I'm quite passionate about. It's the same in the military as well. There's very little done in the military as far as actually monitoring like we would in respect to the athletes we work with. So yeah, it's something that's just really interesting to me uh, to see if we actually could make a difference. Um, there's there's a lot of issues, you know. I'm not. Uh, too silly to understand that my athletes are, are very good in completing the, all their monitoring requirements because it's part of what they do and that's not necessarily the, you know, they have to do it and it's not necessarily the same obviously in a corporate situation where you want to get the buy-in so that people can understand uh, that, it, you know, this is really a win-win situation. So there are a lot of corporations now utilizing wearable technology and uh, etc. But I think with that, often the employee, uh, the employee is looking at that, going, "Oh, this is a big brother sort of situation," and they just want to see how much we're doing, what we're doing, are we actually doing what we're meant to do? And I'm not about that. I'm about actually helping the the people to be the best they can possibly be in respect to their their lifestyle, their health, and any advice. That can be offered there so definitely if you look at productivity literature there's very little about the actual person in that so is there any is there any kind of good practice that you've seen in the kind of corporate business world that is applicable to bringing into um like a football or sport environment not, yeah not only for the players but for the staff as well Oh, absolutely. I think the, the strategy, uh, frameworks, systems, putting them into place in, in high performance sport is, is absolutely required. We can, we can learn so much from there. Like probably five years ago, people started, maybe five, ten years ago, people started talking about dashboards and these different systems in, in sports science. But this was, you know, which was rocket science in sports science and, and it's 101 in business. So there's so much that we can learn from there that people have been doing for years, like tracking different things that we can incorporate into into our work. 
And I think even though every day I'll still get the, the feed of new publications that come out in our field, I think if you read far and wide into different areas, it's going to only make you better in, in our field of sports science. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm at work the other day and I'm getting a survey through that all our employee, all the employees are supposed to fill in with basically how, how we can think we can improve the organization yeah. and basically how happy we are. But I was, in, I was in a football club, um, three years ago for three years mm. and it wasn't exactly a, uh, a rich club, not exactly at the, the pinnacle in the premier league, but there were people on good money and assets as in players that were considered to be worth significant amounts of money. Yes. But we never had that. We never had that then. Yes. So I'm just wondering why that was never brought in at that point when we have people who are the assets who are worth, yes. I'm guessing, to the organization probably more than what I am now yeah. to this organization. But at that time, there's nothing. Nothing. We didn't know who who was happy, who's not happy, what we could do better, what we're not doing very well. Why is that? Why is that the case? Is it is it because we're so driven for Saturday, and actually what the result is on a Saturday, and and that's kind of all that matters, and we get caught up in that. Why is why do you yeah. think that's the case that sport is taking seems to be taking so long to catch up, even though we think we think we're at the forefront. Yeah. Look. Um... Yes, uh, you can hear me okay, Rob? I can hear you, mate. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, sorry. Um, look, I, I actually wrote a blog on that about assets and how we look after them. And, and yes, the it is always I, – I think I look at sport in disbelief sometimes that you can spend $30 million on a player. And if that player isn't looked after very well, that's a $30 million asset. If you – if you look at how many players are bought for $30 million and sold for more than that, or are they sold for less than that? And if that player is sitting on the, you know, sitting in the stands because they're injured, uh, then what cost is that? And how much do we actually spend on asset management? In business, asset management, you're probably looking at 8 to 10% that they'll send, you know, spend on looking after that asset. Now, if we look at a football club, there is no way that we that ten percent of the, the the wages are spent in the sports science, sports medicine department, the performance department, and and that's really something that needs to to change. If it's it's just not smart business, it's really just not smart business. If you if you buying these players, you need to look after them with the best possible people to do that and to to have those resources to do it correctly. And look, I've I've heard stories, and 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 you know, sometimes there'll be someone on the physio table, and his weekly wages are, are ten times what the whole department is, and that just makes no sense to me. Uh, I, I I never begrudge what players are paid. I've got no issue with that. But if you're going to pay the players that, and you've you've spent that, if we look at a player as a, a, a absolute business asset then we must look after them accordingly. I also find it, I still find it surprising that coaches can change and change the entire staff. I've got no issue with a coach coming in and having their assistance. I, I absolutely believe in them. Having their fitness coach, having having that and having the people around them, that's, that's all very good. 
But I think an overarching performance strategy and performance staff should be in place that's employed by the club that is actually looking after those assets. And from a club perspective, that doesn't mean that the, the coach can't do his thing with his staff, but you just have to have the right people in place at the club because too often there's conflict when new people come in and, and, I, and I've been in that situation, so I understand that. But there has to be that agreement because what letting a coach come in and, and have the entire staff change over and then that coach might be out in four or five months and you've got them in charge of millions upon millions of dollars of assets, how, 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 Rob, how can that be? How can that make sense? I know. How, how can it uh, – unless we get to the point where, okay, if a coach wants complete control, okay, well, you underwrite the insurance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, just thinking about it, that's the, the same guy that owns that football club, which is a business, is the same guy that's made millions and millions of pounds, no doubt, in business doing exactly the opposite of what he's doing in his new business at the football club. But it seems that – in sport, that that mentality from that business, kind of co- his core business, that owner's core business, to the business he's now the football club, just goes out the window. Absolutely, that asset management just doesn't exist. Absolutely, it's, it's a sport uh, club, or it's a football club. It's just yeah. bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. And I spend a lot of time talking about this now, and uh, and and it it just it makes no sense. And it's something that needs to, I would hope, changes. And, and it's an absolute win-win situation. If you have the right people in place, the business owner is going to win, the club's going to win, and the coach is going to win. And there's no, no issue, issue with that. And I think sport, there's, like in, in every business, there's a lot of ego involved. And, and we just need to leave that ego at the door, all of us. And, and get the best solution for the players, for the clubs, for the, the, you know, the key stakeholders there. And, but yeah, you, you talk, you, you talk, uh, great sense in what you're saying. And, and it's something that doesn't really need to, need to change. It will only take a couple of clubs to do it. A couple of clubs in the big leagues to, to go, okay, you know, we're going to this club. These are our assets. We're going to put some good people in charge of our assets and, uh, and whether they stay in their roles or not is not dictated by a coach that can come and go. It's dictated by a performance committee or, a, or the, the club situation. So I think when a club starts to do that, then you, you're going to see some real, real difference. In my role, I must say, in, with the national team and with players spread out all across the world and and monitoring them there's some there are some clubs that do very very well in what they're doing but it's it's quite a, a again it's concerning that there are a lot of clubs that put little emphasis on actually looking after that the players from a physiological psychological uh, perspective and that's an absolute concern so another th- another thing that you you wrote about, which was the the future of wearable technology, and I'd love to get that from a kind of going down the same route as we've been discussing, but also from a kind of hardcore performance uh, aspect as well as well. Um, just if you could elaborate on your thoughts with regards to the future of wearable tech. 
Yeah, look, uh, I, I was, I've been very fortunate to be using GPS since I think 2004 probably. I got my first GPS unit and it was a GP sports unit and I still have a, a great relationship with them and actually the same person that I bought that unit off, I, I, I still work closely with today. And they, I think the advancements coming, not only, let's, let's just not talk GPS, I, I, that's going to advance in itself. I think the wearable technology in respect to remote monitoring, in respect to sleep, uh, all this 24-7 data. If you look, we've got players at training for a certain amount of time, but what are they doing, you know, what information do we have them when they're not at training? The I think that's where there's going to be advances. In actual fact, we've been trialing in recent times monitoring systems with the um, – you know, that are on um, a smartwatch. So it makes it really easy for players. Like I'm always trying to make it easier. I found that the the user experience with some of the monitoring systems, we, we don't even don't even consider. We just think, oh, they're athletes, you know, and, and they get very little user experience. And that's a, that's a big thing with applications. If you have a look at some of them, you know, most of the, the basic fitness apps that you can get for free and the user experience is, is really quite good. You can get a nice dashboard and get some nice data off them, but often the athlete monitoring systems user experience is, is, is not there. And I don't think that's, that's really that great because athletes are, you know, they're people first. So, and particularly with the younger generation coming through, they need to be engaged by this. So what we're looking at at the moment in conjunction uh, with the Australian Institute of Sport is using uh, the the Apple Watch and uh, that the monitoring system's actually on there where it just sort of buzzes, you tap a couple of you know, buttons for your wellness, your, your training goes into that you know, as soon as you just start training. So for me, it's perfect in a remote situation because I don't always get access to the data the players have from their club GPS. So they can just wear the Apple Watch, they can train, they can just press the button that they started. All that data will go into our, our system, into our, our database, and then we have access to that. So same with the sleep data, same with anything that they do. And I think that's where it's going to go in. The automation of all these uh, different applications will make it uh, much better and a much better experience for the athletes and also for the sports scientists. Just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Craig and I just wanted to bring to your attention uh, a bit of a frustrated uh, tweet that I put out this week and the frustrated tweet came from just my experience of reading certain articles online and maybe the kind of regurgitation of information and the tweet that I put out was to encourage people out there who are in who are working with athletes whether professional or amateur to actually share their work and not necessarily uh, the theory behind it, but actually what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. So I've had a really good response, but if there is anyone else out there who wants to share their work, uh, similar to the work of Tom Turner at Leinster Rugby, who shared his, 
his work on developing maximal strength using velocity-based training, uh, which had some really good uh, traction, by the way, and thank you to Tom for doing that. So if there's anyone that wants to kind of share their work uh, and why they do it and how they do it, uh, and maybe the context and constraints that they actually work day-to-day -day in, that'd be fantastic, and I'd love to uh, facilitate that. So if anyone is interested, just uh, direct message me or email me. Um, so you can direct message me on Twitter at PaceyPerform, um, or drop me an email at PaceyPerformance at gmail.com. So back to uh, part two with Craig, and hope you enjoy. So one thing that I've I've just heard recently, um, and it was it was on GPS, and it was um, a certain club were looking at two different options with regards to two different companies, and in the in this scenario, the the club had a certain amount of money, and they were either going to spend it on getting a, a better system, so upgrading their system, but they actually decided to spend that uh, part of the budget on a data visualization tool instead. So they knew that the the better system was going to give them clear data, more reliable data, but they thought the biggest impact that they could possibly have was actually visualizing that not as good data better. And I'm I'm kind of hearing that a little bit more that people are actually investing in software that is for specifically for data visualization because, like you say, the maybe these systems aren't as slick on the front end when presenting this type of data to either players or coaches. So they're actually investing in third-party software to actually be able to do that. Is that something that you're hearing about as well? Well, I'm, I'm fascinated with data visualization and I collaborate with people that are specialists in that area so I can pre present my data in the best possible way. And I think it's absolutely critical to hear someone that would actually go and spend the money on a data visualization tool rather than having really great GPS, that's a, that's a concern because I, I can't <laughs> – that's a real concern because – yeah. and I'm sure you've had that experience. It, software, no software is perfect. And so you might use a great data visualization tool and it's not going to be exactly what you want. I mean, what's better is to actually get a data visualization expert or a user experience expert to give you really good yeah. advice. And and I don't think Excel costs that much. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I think you can do really, really well in that. But the point that you make about data visualization, absolutely, we, we need to be better at that. We absolutely need to be better at that. We need to treat coaches as a client and, uh, and work with them in respect to understanding their experience and every coach is different. I don't know how many people really sit down with the coach and say, how do you want this data presented? How, how is it best for you? What do you want to know? What, what can I do for you? Often we sometimes uh, the, the tail wagging the dog as such and we just give them what we think is meant to be because we're the sports scientists. It's not like that. It's, it's absolutely we need to go down that track of what does the client want and, and this is the coach, it's the players, it's the whoever, whoever we're, we're reporting to and we need to give them the best experience that they want. And this is why sports science has had problems over the years, I think, and, it, 
it hasn't been seen for the actual great value it can give is because of our attitude that, that we think we know what everyone wants, but we don't. We need to, to understand basically to sit down and have that conversation to see what the, what the coach wants or what whoever we're reporting to. And part of that is the data visualization. There'll be some coaches that want tables. They like the numbers. There'll be some that want charts and they want certain types of charts. These are the questions you can, you can show them what we, what is available and, uh, but find that, but we really need to have that, that conversation. Do you do a lot of that, that kind of thing in just in Excel? Or do you have any third party stuff that you use? Well, mainly, yes. At the at the moment, most of the the stuff we would do is 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 in Excel. But I'm always looking at other other options and and that and and I'm no expert in Excel. Um, I'm lucky to have people that work with me that are that are much better than I am in in respect to Excel. But I'm always looking at other other ways and of of presenting that data. I mean, our our business is is really, I think, Rob. It's about the insight that we give. So it's about the data visualization and then the insight. And we might miss that point. I often say to, to students, what is separating you apart? What shows you have studied for three, five, six, seven years that's different to someone that can just download GPS and print out a, a report that comes from the GPS system? We don't need a university degree to do that. What makes you different is the insight, your pattern recognition of that data and how much when you do your reports, if you look at your report, how much insight is in that? What, what, what is there that's different from someone that's just, because, you know, we can teach someone how to download GPS and print out a report in probably a couple of days. But, but what, what shows that you've, you've done uh, X amount of years of study, and that's what we need to get to. Cool. And so, there's one thing, just one more thing. I know you need to uh, need to get off. So, there's one, one more thing I want to want to chat to you about, and that was um, kind of obviously with your job at the uh, with the Socceroos, and that was get make sure making sure that when you actually do get together and and people get to Australia from all different parts of the world where they're based at their clubs is actually making sure that the aims that you have are met, but also keeping in the back of your mind that they're actually not your players. And I, I find that quite a, an interesting scenario and just to get into your head with, with what's going on there um, with regards to your planning and your strategy towards a certain game. But always, it's always there that they have to go back they have to go back and they have to be in a respectable condition that clubs are happy to, for them to go again, to, to come back to you. Mm. So it'd just be nice to get a bit of an insight into, into your kind of inner workings with regards to that. Yeah, working with international teams, are, uh, it's, it's enjoyable because it's a real puzzle. It's very, very different from the, the day-to-day. And uh, I know you've had uh, my friend uh, Darren Burgess on, and, and Darren used to do the exact job I'm doing, and, and was was fantastic in it. And and we often speak about it that just with the Australian national team, the amount of travel <laughs> that our players have to do is 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 major. 
So most of our players are based in Europe. So even for a home game, you can think about the travel. that, And, and they might not arrive until Tuesday. So the latest players might arrive on a Tuesday and the first game in a FIFA window will be a Thursday. And for instance, the last, the last qualifiers we had, which we, we just got back from, we played in Tehran against Iraq on a Thursday. So then we had to, so players, the latest players arrived on Tuesday and we had to go from there back to Sydney for theoretically a home game. And we played that game the following, <laughs> the following Tuesday. So it's a real, real puzzle. And I, I, I suppose you're, you're working the travel area and the sleep and, and all that. And basically where it's, it's just about managing fatigue. Now we, I've been in this role, uh, two and a half years. And so in that time, in conjunction with the coaching staff, we've worked out basically our training model. So our session models for, for each day of the, the windows, depending if we're home and away and, and all that. So we have, we have them pretty, pretty down pat as, as, as such. And in, in doing that, and the, the coaching staff's fantastic with this, this team that we, we stick, very closely to those models that we believe will get us the best possible outcome. But as far as them being someone else's player, I, I'm very passionate about that, that it's, it's my job as much as the first priority is to win these games for our country, but is to return them in the best possible shape they, they can be so they can perform with their clubs because if they're performing for their clubs, they're going to perform better for us. And, and I've been on both sides of the fence. So one of the things we did from the start is that we give daily reports to all the clubs. So they get uh, a daily update on, on all the wellness data that we collect and all the, all the training data that we have. So rather than leave that as a, that some, some places have done, uh, they might give a end of end of camp report. We do that on a daily basis, and so we liaise with the clubs as well, and we put it in a format. If they just want to take it straight into their system, uh, we'll make sure that happens. So they get every every ounce of data from our players, and they know know where they're at every day. So it becomes easier for them to slide them back into their their programs, and and that's that's been really good. There was a couple of reasons I did that. The, the main one was because I believe it's the right thing to do. The other one is to develop the relationship with the clubs and uh, to, to really make sure that exactly as you said, that the, the players can um, go back and perform. Because often they'll, they'll fly back from us on Thursday from Sydney and then they'll, they'll play in England on the Saturday. If, if that's possible, the Saturday or the Sunday. And so we want to <laughs> make sure that it, that it really does, does work for the club because I fully understand in a, in a best-case scenario that the clubs might rest them. But if you're in a relegation battle and it's a, an important player, it, it's, it's, our, it's our job to, to really uh, send, send those players back. And we've got a, a really good team. Les, uh, we've got a, our head of physiotherapy, Les Gellis, is outstanding. And we both are on the same page as that everyone is that, that we, we have to send these players back in the best possible condition. 
So in them in them scenarios where you do have two games like on a Thursday and then a a home game on the on the Monday or the Tuesday. Tuesday. What are the aims? So yeah, what what are the aims of firstly from yourself and the coaching staff over them couple of days? Is it just from your point of view? Is it just to keep them healthy? That's the that's the main aim. Well, yeah. Look, it's it's mainly to to ensure. I think there's a lot more aims from the the coaching staff. Yeah, yeah. For for instance, in in that window we just had that March window, we haven't hadn't been together since November. So the coaching staff will have to work uh, very, very well on, on any tactical changes that they want to make. And, and so a lot of that becomes because you have to manage the situation of fatigue and, and performance and you've only got a couple of days, you can't obviously do all that on the pitch. So they have to become very good at their video presentations and the, the education of the players. And then, then it becomes that, that work that they do on the pitch. But yeah, very much it's, um, you're, you're overcoming travel. So you're overcoming the fatigue of the Saturday or the Sunday game. And then you're preparing them for a Thursday game and then you've got more travel and then you've got to prepare them for a Tuesday <laughs> game. So it's, it's enjoyable because I, I always see sports science as anything as a as a as a puzzle, and whatever whatever obstacle is there, you you will find a way uh, to to work through that. So I think it's it's exciting, whatever it is. And we also in Asia, like we've played the heat can be uh, incredible. We played at UAE in August. Uh, in in Abu Dhabi, and uh, I think at kickoff it was thirty seven, thirty eight degrees with eighty five percent humidity. It was the most incredible conditions I've ever seen in my life. So uh, those sort of things you have to work through, and um, I've never had so much, uh, you know, so many drinks on the side of a pitch. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the, as, a, as a guy with as yeah. a guy with ginger hair, I'm just burning thinking about it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, but <laughs> I remember that day. Actually, it was funny because I, when the night goes down there, you know, when the the sun goes down, it gets um, it gets very the humidity just goes through the roof. And I remember we'd been training in the day a couple of sessions, and it was hot. And uh, but the night, I think it was the night before the game. I thought, oh, I'll just go on a run in the evening about a similar time that we were going to go for kickoff. And then I just the overriding thing in my head was how are they going to play in this? You know, I'm just trotting along and thinking, oh, no. And But a lot of that, uh, Rob, then becomes psychological. And, and I found more and more that I call on those, those, those aspects of just working with players so that they can believe that they, they can do this, that they're prepared very much for this, that we're aware of that and and we've done everything in our power to get through that so it's it's quite incredible in those sort of situations just how much psychology plays a part and belief and preparation so i think it's yeah it's it's very interesting mm-hmm. excellent well i know you have to yeah i know you have to shoot off but um i just want to round it up there and just say a massive thanks to you for joining me at six o'clock in the morning it's normally me, the one that gets up early and stays up late to make these happen, not the person that's on the other end. Um, so I really appreciate your time, Craig. Um, where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on? 
Um, look, anyone can always email me uh, just at uh, drcraigduncan.com. Um, I've got a blog, uh, just uh, drcraigduncan.com, which I should write on more regularly, and this might inspire me to, to do that more regularly. Um, I'm on Twitter, but uh, uh, just at, at uh, Duncan, but I'm, I, I don't write on there as much as I used to. Um, but yeah, so, but anyone, just feel free to email me anytime. Just uh, I'm, I'm always interested in what, what people, are, people are doing and it's great to have conversations and, and that. So, yeah, Brilliant. anything. No, I appreciate it. I think it's the first person I've had on who's done a TEDx talk. So local celebrity. Ah, yeah, yeah that, was, <laughs> that was interesting. It's uh, and by the way, they're not, they're a different sort of talk. They're they're hard work. Um, yeah, but, but it was enjoyable because uh, it, it was and and that actually was on the the whole concept of monitoring and and taking yeah. it into other parts of the world. And uh, yeah. yeah, so good. Thank you. No, it was good. It was good, mate. No, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But um, yeah, finally, just thanks. Thanks a lot for uh, for joining us at so early in the morning, especially. And yeah, uh, we'll keep we'll keep in touch. Yeah, and thank you, Rob, for for doing this for the industry. I think it's people don't always understand that how much work goes into what you are actually doing, and it really, really helps uh, the industry. And and that. So I think you should be really congratulated with that. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 131 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Dr. Craig Duncan. So massive thanks to Craig for giving up an early morning uh, and lack of lying to come and uh, talk to me for the podcast. So massive thanks to Craig. Also massive thanks to the sponsors of the episode today who are Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, and Coach Me Plus both for giving their continued support to myself and the podcast. So got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, so make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player, whether that be iTunes or um, Podbean or Stitcher, wherever it may be. So make sure you subscribe so you can keep in touch with what's going on in the podcast. So thanks for tuning in and speak to you in episode 132.